it seems a very obvious thing to say, but people are people. We are human. And ever since that day in Eden where Eve and Adam are tempted to eat fruit, that they have told the serpent that they are not supposed to eat, we have found things pleasing to the eye and then failed to resist temptation. We square it away with ourselves by devising some rule, some understanding, some little work around that makes everything look okay. Only we truly know that when we do something wrong, there will be consequences. Sure, you could go and spend money now on something that you don't need. You have a perfectly good television at home, but there's a bigger one in the shop. Not just high definition, but 4K. Not just a flat screen, but an OLED, the latest technology. And because there's enough space on your credit card, perhaps, you could buy it. But if you don't pay it off that month, there's consequences, isn't there? You get charged interest. And if you go and buy something else the following month, and the month after that, it builds up. And soon you have a heavy weight upon you of debt. A little thirsty when out shopping, you might wait till you get home and have a glass of water. Or maybe I think, I'll just have that caramel frappuccino with the squirty cream on top. I guess my waistline might increase a little bit. The trousers might go pop. But nobody would know, would they? Just a little bit will it get bigger. I can put a belt on. My trousers can stay up just as neat as they did before. What about King David? At home with nothing to do on a spring evening. He could have been leading his men to battle. That's where kings go at that time of year, it tells us in the previous chapter. But instead, he wanders about going, mm, what do I do? What do I do? He could have visited the harem of Saul, the wives that the Lord have passed on to him. But now, 
Instead, he enjoys sexual relations with Bathsheba, the wife of one of his officers. And then when she declares she's pregnant, he tries to develop a cover story, calling the husband home from the battlefront, going, go and spend some time with your wife. But he doesn't. And so he has to get sent to the front and get killed by the sword of the Ammonites. David imagines all's well that ends well. No one need know of our little foibles. But there's consequences to his actions and there's consequences to our actions. When we choose to do something that is wrong, something bad will come of it. Nathan is in good relationship with David. He gets the king's ear in our passage, probably because previously in 2 Samuel 7, he shared a positive revelation with David. Your throne shall be established forever. There's going to be an inheritance that goes on and on. An inheritance that we know today through Jesus our Lord. The relationship built by this good word allows a parable to be told of rich and poor, of sheep and of lamb. Clearly, there is in this tale an injustice. How often do we hear a story, perhaps on the news, and we say something must be done Well, when a king hears it, a king like David, he has the power to do something. Something must be done. And not knowing that it's an allegory, he pronounces judgment. Righteousness will prevail. Death to the rich man. May there be repayment four times over. Well, repayment four times over is in the law in Exodus 22. It is the cost of repaying a sheep that has been stolen. We see that four times over again when Jesus meets with Zacchaeus. And he says, yes, If I have indebted anyone, I will repay four times. The death of the perpetrator is above the requirement of the law. Indeed, in Exodus, an allowance was made for shedding uh, shedding the blood of a nighttime thief caught in the act. That is self-defense, something that we still understand today. But there was no allowance in seeking revenge after the dawn of going after the thief and killing them. That was not allowed for in Exodus 22. But yet David says, death to the man. 
Well, David, the husband of many, took for himself the wife of Uriah. He'd only had one wife, Bathsheba. David thought he got away with it. But he hadn't. And so the soldier, the poor man that had the sheep stolen from him is the one who was killed in reality. And God saw it all. Every scheme, every lie, every little twinkle in our eye, God sees it. When we lack self-control or patience, when we have hate or jealousy, when we abuse power or take what is not ours to take, it is all known. And the shock to David must have been great to have the finger pointed. You are the rich man. You took the lamb. You had no pity whatsoever. And he recognises what has been said and confesses his sin. And when we confess our sin to the Lord, we can be forgiven. And that's what happens here. It's what Faith read a couple of times earlier. The Lord has taken away your sin. We are blessed by God's almighty grace. By his amazing love. That the sins that we do can be forgiven. But it was an enormous price. It was the death of Jesus, our Saviour, upon the cross. We don't need to face the spiritual punishment. We don't need to be separated from God. Life can be eternal. We need not die. But when Nathan says, you will not die... In the passage, he's not saying you're never going to die. David's mortal life was limited. But he would not die as the punishment of that sin. If we have done something wrong, there will be consequences. We may be forgiven by the Lord when we turn to him. Because of his great mercy. But if we have broken the law of the land, we might still have to pay a fine or go to jail. If we have been greedy and overstretched ourselves, there will be consequences. Interest to pay. We might find ourselves in great debt. If we have had gluttony, we may be overweight and suffer with our health. We may be forgiven, but there are consequences 
to our actions. We must deal with the result of what we have done. And when we look at our own faults, we can be convicted easily. But we also have to be careful when we talk with others about sin. About 20 years ago, before I started training for the ministry, there was a family that I knew really well, a good, God-fearing family, who lived near me and attended a different church. And we'd met doing some ecumenical youth work. And their third child um, had health difficulties, uh, including learning difficulties. And the pastor of their church went to visit and directed them to read this story and to confess their sin. We are all guilty of sin. I'm pretty sure their child, however, was not ill as a direct punishment for any of their actions which is what that preacher was claiming. People must be careful how they read scripture and apply it. Particularly with a reading like this. But also in the light of what Jesus later tells us. When in John 9, the crowd bring a blind man to him and say, Rabbi, Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And of course, Jesus replies, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. After which the man was directed to the pool, encouraged to wash, and regained his sight. Those who live facing great struggles can often teach us something new about how we should approach our life and how we need to think wider of how we love our neighbour as ourselves. We must be careful about words of judgement. Returning to the passage from 2 Samuel For us who know that God is love, it's difficult to hear what happens, isn't it? That the the son conceived out of wedlock by David's sinful action now falls ill. He's done nothing wrong. There's no sin of that child. The child is innocent. But he is struck with illness and a week later dies. What we can say for sure is that God loved that child. But we might struggle to comprehend the death. David's behaviour through the boy's illness is exemplary. He is prayerful. He 
prays, he fasts, he sleeps on the floor of the house, he seeks no comfort at all. In some translations it uh, says that he puts on sackcloth or lies on sackcloth. He rejects the assistance of his household. He is humble before the Lord in prayer. But there are times that we pray for an outcome that, although we don't understand it, is not the outcome that the Lord is going to bring. Such prayer, although heartfelt and involving our whole being, may not always be answered. It might have been answered for David, but it wasn't. And the same is true for us. In our prayers, it must be heartfelt, but we must always seek God's will. What is the right way? And God's will sometimes causes us grief or makes life uneasy. It might lead us to a place that is painful emotionally and we might struggle to comprehend it. But he is God. And we do not see everything that is going on. On hearing news of the death, David is calm and collected. It seems wrong almost in how he reacts. The pain should continue, the grieving should begin. Was he not a moment earlier prostrate on the floor? Did he really mean his prayers? I'm sure that he did mean those prayers. And that this death must have been hard for him. And it speaks of how he comforts Bathsheba. It was hard for her. But we must also remember that at that time, infant mortality was very common. As recently as the 1950s, in some parts of the world, a quarter of children died before their first birthday. And it was probably even more back in the time of David. We are fortunate that in this country today, infant mortality is less than five in a thousand. But it is enormously painful for those five families. Painful for those who lose a child. And it can be an ache that never really goes away. And kind words are sometimes intended to be shared. And sometimes those words are not always kind to the people hearing it. And instead touch a raw nerve. In this passage we have no name for the child, this first child of David and Bathsheba. Perhaps it was not given a name. And that is still the habit in some cultures. Where until all doubts of viability have gone... 
no name is given. It is understood that for such communities, this practice allows parents to quickly move on, as David did. But for us in more developed nations, where death of a child at a young age is unusual, it is nonetheless gut-wrenching. The means to grieve by remembering the child as a loved individual is often an important step, emotionally and spiritually. David, the husband, returns to Bathsheba. And here, the writer of 2 Samuel refers to her as his wife. Until now, she's been Bathsheba or the wife of Uriah the Hittite. But now, she is David's wife. It marks a change in the relationship. The death of the child sees the closing of one book and the opening of a new one. David has been forgiving, forgiven, and something new will happen. And we see that in the birth of Solomon, the one that God has a plan through, the one that will build the temple, a house of worship, the one that we will see something of hope and forgiveness and life. There's a lot in this passage about choosing to be God's people. On his journey, there may be pain, but there may also be a great deal of blessing because he is a God of love. David was not always a perfect husband. We are not perfect people. But will you choose God's will over your own? Will you serve him and seek his plan? Will you recognise that God is God, whatever may happen? Amen.